Yeah. The one element that we need to think about as climbers is your skin though. So don't just start washing up all the time, soaking in the bath and- You never do the washing up anyway, Ollie. I avoid it. <laughs> Hi, welcome to another episode of Ask Lattice. Today, me and Tom are gonna to talk about training stimulus and looking at different elements of that, how to fit it together, and all the questions that you've asked us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, just to say thank you very much for all of your questions that you put through, and we do listen to the kind of themes that you're going for, and it's January right now, and I know a lot of you are really focused on putting together your training plans for 2020. So we're going a little bit more heavily focused on sort of the training, uh, sort of structuring and different types of stimulus. We're heavy on that at the moment. So you know at this time of year, everyone's kind of trying to decide what goals they want to do. And some of the questions we've got kind of give us the indication that you guys are really psyched, but you have no idea where to direct it. So it's trying to decide what goals am I going to go on, what trips am I going to do, and hopefully this will give you a little bit more information on how to structure a year towards that. You can do everything, but it's just knowing how to plan it properly. Okay, so first question we've got here, um, which is, it's, it's a good question, um, this one, because it's, uh, it covers a lot of bases and it's specific to nearly everyone out there who's doing some kind of base training, so foundational training at the beginning of the year, and this is around capacity training. What someone wants to know was, how do you um, understand and know that you're working at the right intensity for your session for anaerobic capacity training and aerobic capacity training? So what do those two feel like? What's the difference between anaerobic and aerobic capacity training? So both of those elements, like Tom said, developing the capacities and you're trying to improve that element. So hopefully the stimulus will feel slightly different over time, but the key thing is, is that feeling. So the length of each session and the length of moves that you're doing in the session will change depending on the level that you're at, but it's the feeling that you're after the whole time. So aerocap, uh, aerobic capacity, is we're looking for a very specific feeling here where you're building up towards a pump but it's just looking at general blood flow, you're breathing heavily and you're able to quit, keep working. You should not be reaching the point of failure during these sessions because you are too pumped and you should definitely not be feeling powered out. And by powered out, I mean that feeling where you just can't hang on any longer, but you're not really boxed. And by pumped, we mean that really exploding forearms kind of feeling, which is really uh, unpleasant for people like me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with the you know aerobic capacity in particular is that this is a lower intensity session unless you've got very, very short interval blocks. So a classic aerobic capacity session that we do a lot of is things like one on, one off, one on, two off. And if you look at the interval, so the amount of work that you're doing and the duration of it, it's only a minute long. So you're not gonna be getting really pumped in that small one a minute interval, but it allows you to work at a relatively high intensity. So really pushing the, um, the, stim the aerobic stimulus at a really high intensity so that we're improving that aerobic capacity. Same again for anaerobic capacity. You get pretty good rest periods in short work periods, don't you? Yeah, so in those short work periods of say 12 moves or doing three laps of a boulder problem, you should be getting more and more powered out in each of those elements, so it's quite intense. But you're getting quite a long rest period after that 
um, to have just enough time to recover but not fully recover and then the same with aero cap throughout the session that's when the stimulus becomes more and more intense so you finish the end of the session feeling either powered out for anaerobic capacity training or just slightly pumped and very tired for aerobic capacity session if we show you like the elements of all the way through that so sorry different sessions aerobic capacity your easiest session would be continuity style work very very easy climbing you should definitely not be failing you should be feeling slightly tired and almost a little bit bored the middle of the aerobic capacity session would be doing some sort of split continuity or split intensity so that might be doing a little bit of harder climbing into easy climbing back to hard climbing into easy climbing so it's a little bit of intense you're building up a little bit of anaerobic waste product you go on to easy climbing you should be pretty much recovering then you go back onto the hard stuff so throughout the session you're generally feeling really tired but once again you're stepping off the wall with only a slight pump and you shouldn't be failing the most intense session that we pretty much offer actually is around a minute of climbing and then a minute of resting on a poor hold and doing around 10 repetitions of that the pump should build up generally all the way out throughout the session so it should get more and more intense you don't want to be on the wall any longer towards the end you feel really tired but once again you're not failing you're stepping off the wall and you're just feeling generally tired yeah and in in contrast to that with the anaerobic capacity training what we're trying to do is we're trying to increase work at intensity so a level of stimulus for the muscle and the forearm that enables us to adapt so that we're increasing our blood lactate production rate and to do that we have to work at a high intensity and the window that we're looking for in terms of the intervals that we're working on is around 30 seconds to a minute long so it's not that long and if we extend too far beyond or into that 60 second window is we're going to have to we're going to start to produce some high levels of waste products we're going to decrease the intensity because we're starting to fatigue within that individual uh, interval and we're not going to be training with the uh, we're not going to be creating adaptation that we're looking for when we're starting that training session so keep within that 30 to 60 second window and then importantly after that is the rest time is at least double your work time so if your interval was 45 seconds long look for at least a minute 30 for your rest period often we can be at two minutes two and a half three minutes rest period because then when you go back to the next interval you can also complete that at a really high intensity it's a, the mistake people make is they go too quickly into that second third fourth rep isn't it yeah exactly and the, the feelings you get on either side if you get the intensity wrong is if we have so on the middle ground where you're getting powered out and you get the intensity perfectly sometimes people make the heart climbs a little bit too hard or the rest period's too short and they start to fail too early on in the next climb which means they don't build up enough of that anaerobic capacity um, volume that they need to do to get the adaptation so in that case you either like Tom said extend the rest or you make the problems just a tiny bit easier cheating adding extra footholds or handholds um, and the other end of the spectrum is you make it a little bit too easy and you start having to go a little bit longer you make your problems too long and once again you start to reduce the rest because you feel okay but then you start building up a little bit of forearm pump and it's starting to increase the aerobic element of that training session, which is not what we're trying to achieve. So if you're finding it too hard, uh, just reduce it a bit, cheat. And if you're finding it too easy, just start adding in uh, a little bit harder climbs or specific moves to make sure that you're working at your max intensity uh, for that amount of volume of climbing. Okay, so next question is um, a bit more of a theory 
well, it's not a bit more, it's, it's really quite a theoretical question. And this is around um, the differences or the selection of block periodization versus concurrent, perhaps we can even term conjugate uh, periodization and why we might choose these two methods. Just to kind of be clear on the, from the outset here, if we define our block periodization as being a form of periodization, so organization of our training, which is much more focused on a singular element. So this might be looking to make just strength gains for period or blocks of three to four weeks at a time, rather than working on strength and strength endurance and endurance all at the same time within a three to four week cycle, which we would term this concurrent. So one is much more focused block training versus concurrent, where we train multiple training stimuli at the same time across the same month. I think we've, at Lattice, probably have the reputation for doing multiple stimulus all at once. And typically this is something we would do a lot of the time. Um, but generally, for us as coaches, we'll use whatever method is best for the climber and as an individual. So we never ever stick with one method of periodization in any circumstance. We always adapt every plan specifically to that person. Um, so a good example here is we generally use multiple stimulus all the way through a training year. However, if you are new to training, uh, you might want to go to block training just so that you have time to adapt <coughs> to the basic elements of, uh, of the training that you're going to be doing in the future. So for us to build up the basic strength level of a climber, so they're able to complete those training sessions later on, I might just do a block of strength training at the start of their training plan. On the flip side, if we've got someone who's a very, very advanced climber or is very good in a particular area, we'll also use block training because that's the only way of creating overload and giving them enough volume of that very specific type of training. Um, Tom has to do this, in which he absolutely hates because he's such a fit climber and he naturally adapts to the endurance side of things that for him to increase his strength and power he only can do strength and power because if he's going to get a certain amount of strength and power stimulus and then even a little bit of fitness training his body is going to listen to this element and that's the message that it wants to adapt to so we need to completely remove that for his body to suddenly listen to the strength and power element if you find that you're the same then i'd recommend experimenting with the same sort of protocol Vice versa, if you're a really strong climber and you always feel like you're stronger than your friends and your peers that climb the same grade um, and you're always trying to include a bit of strength training in, just have a go at just doing fitness climbing, power endurance or endurance for a short period and you'll really see the gains that you can make. Because if you always try and keep it concurrent and you're that specialised, your body's always going to listen to the message it wants to hear most. Yeah, so for me... This element of uh, block periodization and the fact that I'm really well adapted to certain things and I've also been training a number of years, it has been a really important process to go through and also to realize and be more aware of every year. And as much that I don't want it to be true, it's very much the case that I've put, I'm in the point where I have the decreasing returns on training investment because I put so much in for so many years. So this focused approach for me works really well even though I don't particularly like doing it but I I go for the most efficient and what gives me the returns. I mean on the other end of the spectrum we do see a lot of climbers that are particularly strong and they're strong compared to their grade and their peers that they climb with 
Um, and they find it really hard to try and drop any of that strength training because that's the area they feel comfortable and that's sort of their comfort zone and they want to be able to keep that strength and power up so they can climb the things they want. But if they're looking to become a more all-round climber and do different disciplines or even just improve generally, it might be good for them to add just an element of block training and focus purely on the power endurance, whether that's anaerobic capacity work or aerobic capacity work, for a short period just so they can get that fitness up. Because if they keep continually adding in strength training, that's the bit that their body's going to listen to. And just remember, the message that your body wants to hear the most is the thing it's going to adapt to. Uh, that actually leads us on really nicely to the next question, which is, uh, can you train for sport, boulder, trad at the same time? Um, and I think this is probably from a British climber because we tried to do everything all at once, <laughs> generally. In uh, the vague hope that the weather's going to somehow be good. Yeah, well, you've got to be good for any element of the, uh, of the country, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so generally, yes. Can you perform at your best at sport, boulder and trad at the same time? It depends on the specific projects that you've got, I think, for me, is the answer. Yeah, it's, it all comes down to this thing of whether you want to perform right at your limit in all of those and train at your limit in all of those. Because I think doing it at your limit is very, very hard and you're going to risk a lot with this. Either you're risking non-performance because you're so broad-ranging, you're just trying to do everything. You're fatigued, you're tired, you're non-specialised. And secondly is that you are sort of treading the thin red line of overtraining and not recovering enough because you're trying to do everything all at the same time and be really, really good shape for it. So I would say you want to spend very small amounts of your year taking this kind of approach and potentially if you're really clever about it and structure your training very well, you can bring them all together. But generally being a little bit more focused and selecting parts of the year to be more specialized in a certain area of climbing may work better and I think it's more compatible with training as well because trad, sport and bouldering are all quite different physiologically. So that would be my kind of answer. And I think with, if someone comes to us and says, look, I'm going to do all of these all at once and what's the best way for me to approach it? And you're saying in terms of the projects and the areas that you're climbing can help you perform better in all of those things at once. So a good example would be um, someone in in the Peak District, for example, if you're bouldering well, you might want to look at doing the longer boulder problems, which are a little bit more power endurance based. Then that can transition to the sport climbing round here, which is a lot bit shorter anyway. So you're generally only going to be doing an extended boulder problem. And then thirdly, traditional climbing could just be on the grit, where effectively, once again, it's very short and it's very intense. <clears throat> and it's going to be looking at that element of making the most of a very short duration of climbing. If you were looking to do different elements, so trad climbing in Pembroke, which is a lot longer, a lot more power endurance based, uh, sport climbing when you go to Spain and then bouldering on grit, then that's when the further apart they get and the harder it is to perform at all three at once. Yeah, really, really tricky that one. And <clears throat> lots of us here at Lattice uh, have multiple disciplines and we all like to perform in all of those things across the year. But if you look in the office and we, you know, we're chatting about climbing all the time, you will notice that people have focus areas of what they're doing in each part of the year. We're, we're very, very rarely doing well in all three, you know, in every part of the year. 
Last question? Yeah. Yeah, this one. Oh, this is a good one. Um, how do you peak for a trip? So what is the sort of formula or system that you would use for getting into peak shape for a performance trip? So in what you want to be looking to do is becoming more and more specific towards the trip itself. So if I was going on a crack climbing trip to Utah, um, the closer I get towards that trip, the more specific training I want to be doing, looking at the angle of climbs, the type of holds or jamming that I'm going to be using and the amount of duration I'm going to be on the wall. Um, if I was going bouldering in Magic Wood, I'd once again be looking to make the hold type, the movements more and more specific and more and more intense towards that high-end bouldering close to the trip. And then once again in Spain, the longer duration on-site in routes, I might be looking to do more and more of that type of climbing down the local uh, lead wall as I get close to the trip. Yeah, it's, it's this specificity element that's so key. And I think a, it's a mistake that a lot of people make. And it, it sounds simple to make the specificity high for your training compared to the trip that you want to go on. But on route climbing, the bit that people really get wrong a lot is the selection of hold size and the pacing that they're using in the training before they go away. See a lot of mismatch on that so that your training won't be as applicable when you're performing on rock. And then on bouldering, you see a lot of people doing a lot of strength training, so much more static, slower movements when they're training really hard for a trip, but they're doing nothing that's power-based and right at that last few percentage points of their margin of power or strength that they can execute on the wall. And then they wonder why when they go away on a bouldering trip and they're trying to perform right at their limit that they feel levels of power that are lower, they can't execute moves that are slightly longer than they're expecting or just really, really difficult because they've stayed in the comfort zone of the training. And it's just easy to stay in that, what I call term, it's intense, but it's a comfort zone within training. And that's not what it's like when you're trying to perform. No, not at all. And there's a big mental element of this as well. So the further you find it uh, yourself naturally from the area you're trying to perform, the longer it'll take. So like Tom said, in terms of that top end bouldering performance, what we often see with people that do lots of volume and root setters uh, fall for this all the time is you're used to doing a lot of this moderate intensity that the mental element of sticking with a project and trying really, really hard isn't quite natural to them. So you want to spend, rather than spending two weeks working that last bit of power or projecting, you want to extend that period for one month or six weeks or two months just to make sure that your body and your mind is really, really ready to pull at its absolute max intensity. Vice versa, for anyone who is more strength or power orientated, coming from a bouldering background or shorter routes, and they're looking to go on some really pumpy terrain on a trip, then you really need to spend a lot of time getting used mentally um, to trying really hard when you're pumped and being above clips and just really fighting for your life. Because even though your fitness might come quickly in two to four weeks, that mental element might take a little bit longer. So it's really about spending the time in the mental state that you're going to be trying to perform in as well as the physical state. An additional um, last point to put on the uh, peaking theory and how you effectively peak for a trip is in relation to training load. Now, lots of you will be aware of uh, something which is called a taper. So this is a method for uh, bringing yourself into peak shape in the last seven to 14 days before you go away on that trip. 
And one of the key elements to making a taper effective and actually working is that you need to have had significant overload in terms of the work that you're doing in the training cycle leading up to that peak so that the taper is effective. So your body needs to be going consistently. Whoa, this is quite a lot. I'm just about adapting and keeping up with the training loads that you're giving me. And then when you go into the, the, the taper and you're cutting the volume down significantly, so we're talking sort of 15, 50% reduction overall in training volume in that taper, is your body is then going, wow, this is amazing. I'm, I'm kind of expecting more, but I'm just consistently every single session recovering more and more and I'm feeling better and better. So I'm getting closer and closer to that peak shape. Because if you don't hit that overload leading up to the taper, all that's gonna end up happening is your body's gonna go, hey, where's, where's all my training stimulus gone? You weren't particularly overloading me before and I wasn't particularly adapting to it and now you're just not giving me enough and it's not gonna be as effective. So you do have to tread the thin line, don't you? The, the thin red line, you need, to, you need to push it a little bit in that, that foundation part. Yeah, and if you get it right, you can have quite a long period of doing absolutely nothing and your body's still adapting. Mm. So typically they're found in powerlifters, for example, they can have 10 days of complete cessation of any exercise whatsoever, and they'll still be performing at their absolute best on that competition period. Um, so max strength and power endurance are two things that drop off a bit, uh, a bit more slowly, but it's power that drops off really quick. So if you're looking to perform really powerful movements, that's the thing that you need to keep within this taper period as well. But mm. for some reason, if you do have time off, if you have three, four days, maybe five, days even a week of doing very little don't panic everything's absolutely fine and if you've done the hard training beforehand your body will still be becoming better and better in that week off yeah the one element that we need to think about as climbers is your skin though so don't just start washing up all the time soaking in the bath and you never do the washing up anyway ollie i avoid it <laughs> um so what you need to make sure that all the truth's coming out now <laughs> is making sure that your skin is still being worked in that week off or that last period because the last thing you want is to feel as good as possible and then your skin starts tearing up on the first few days. So look at your skincare before that uh, and look at the products that you're using. So there you have it. That's another four questions on uh, training theory, how to put your training together, the type of stimulus, the kind of intensity that we're doing. And I hope this has all been useful to all of you out there. We will try and answer in the comments section below if you want extra clarification or you want to ask more on this subject area. Otherwise, please click to like the video, subscribe if you want to see more from us, and we will see you again very soon. Bye.